This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Kia ora and welcome to Reserved Recommendations. This is a show about great trash, difficult art and our complicated relationships with art and culture. My name's Hugh, I'm the host of the show and I'd like to take this opportunity to put in a very mild content warning for the show as a whole. Sometimes our recommendations on this show are reserved just because the thing that we're discussing is in some way not good, but sometimes there are aspects of the art or artist that may be confronting for some people. Check the episode descriptions for more information and do be aware of your listening environment. Today I am talking to Matthew Jenkin. Um, How's it going, Matthew? Pretty good. How are yourself? Yeah, yeah, you know, um, things are happening more or less according to plan. That's that's as much certainty as I'm going to give the world. Um, there are a number of things happening at once, none of which are anybody's business, but things are almost, almost going according to plan. That's about as much certainty as the world deserves these days. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. So, I mean, speaking of what the world deserves these days, uh, this is going to be one of the the – there's – kind of subclasses of episode I've decided um, <laughs> there are ones where we talk about like cultural works or, or genres or things and then there are ones where we talk about like broader philosophical issues or things in the world and this is going to be one of those uh, specifically uh, it's an area that you know about which is like the wide and wonderful and kind of terrifying world of AI and I think the first thing that bears saying is like I say kind of terrifying, and that's because uh, I see a lot of potential in uh, the way that AI works and the way that people use it for people to do the bad things that they already do, but much faster. Pretty much, yeah. That's uh, I saw a, a good point that someone made on a, a forum the other day that's saying that no, basically saying they're not worried about what AI will do, they're worried about what people will use AI to do. Well, I mean, here's an example, right? Uh, there was a, a video a while back by a guy called Dan Olson who makes YouTube videos under the name Folding Ideas, um, uh, yes. which hmm. was about this scam that this uh, guy was running, where basically the scam was that he got you to sign up for a course to learn how to do a different scam. And the scam that he was teaching you how to do was to basically uh, get something that generates a word cloud of the most searched topics on Amazon um, and then go to one of these ghostwriting for hire businesses that pay people like cents per word or cents per page even to to write books to order um, to write a book about that thing and then put that on the Amazon store um, and pick up traffic on the, basically the long tail of people misclicking. Um, And, and for bonus points, you could also go to one of the audio book for hire companies that do the same thing with like voice actors. Um, And, and I think I I saw this video. Yeah. yeah, Then you could sell an audio book as well. And, and it's like passive income. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of revoltingly exploitative uh, to all of the people involved, but also very good way of putting it. The, um, 
the immediate thought I had once the the large language model family of of AI products appeared, like Chat GPT, GPT and its and its ilk, was gosh that that would make that particular scam so much faster and easier because you could just take the people out. You could say to to Chat GPT, write me a book about whatever the word word cloud suggests, um, mm-hmm. and. You you need never involve a human being at all, but particularly if you don't care about fact-checking what it says. Yeah, and they don't because no one ever actually reads any of the stuff. It, it's kind of ridiculous. Like I've heard – I was reading something the other day talking a bit to a, a news website and they were experimenting with getting AI to write their news articles and updates and – it, it's very much a thing where it, it's it's good for some aspects of it, like when you know that you know ninety percent of the article is going to be pretty much boilerplate, and then you're plugging in a few specific details like the weekend sports scores or something. Like you know what most of the article is going to be, and it's just what were the, who were the actually won and what were the scores type of thing to be plugged into it for that sort of thing it's great but for anything else it's as you say horribly lacking in fact checking and but they were pointing out that it was getting to the point where they had websites that were generating all of these ai sort of news articles that were being read by web scrapers and bots to generate traffic for AI-generated ads, and it was all just a circular sort of spiral of nonsense that no humans were involved at at any stage in the operation and not, weren't con- achieving anything at all in the real world. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's like a fruitful thing to talk about in more detail perhaps later. I just – I wanted to come clean, uh, lest it sound like I am virulently anti-AI in every possible application. Um, just talking about kind of use cases, um, I, mm-hmm. I have in fact made use of an AI product pretty recently and will probably uh, pay money to continue doing so, um, which is a thing called Otter AI. What that does is it transcribes uh, audio that you feed it into into a text transcript, um, which for someone who works in access media and wants to be able to, you know, isolate out clips to say, this is a good episode of this show, you should check it out, is incredibly useful. Um, so this is like giving a transcript of your podcast, for example. Exactly, exactly. Um, mm. So what it'll do is it will spit you back a, a text transcript of, of the audio that you gave it. Um, and the invaluable bit about it is that it uh, time codes all the little text chunks. And uh, if you view it through the web interface – if, if you click on one of the paragraphs of text, it will play you back the audio that the uh, that the AI was listening to when it generated the text, mm. um, which is fantastic if you live in New Zealand because it does not like the New Zealand accent uh, <laughs> when it's strong, mm-hmm. um, and it cannot handle te reo. It, it has no context for it, so it attempts to phonetically reg- uh, render it in English. Um, and so mm. you just see like sentences of of utter nonsense um, 
words well, not even connected it. to one another because it's just mm. trying to guess what English word sounds like the Māori word that someone was saying. That, it's kind of an interesting thing with language in general because uh, I work with a, a lady that is doing a lot of stuff with the local Gaelic society and she has similar problems with trying to not not with getting it to understand spoken text or transcribing, but just writing Gaelic and it continually cropping up with errors of you spelled this wrong and did you mean this instead and all that sort of nonsense. And half of the problem is to do with the fact that the the software cannot context switch and it just says, right, this document is in one language. Whereas in a conversation, you can throw in a few words of Tereo and back again to English if that conveys your point more clearly. But the system is all going, right, this is English, this is English, this is English, and I don't get that bit at all, and this is English. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a thing that I, I can see as being a bug that will be uh, ironed out because, as you say, like it's – it's pretty common practice, although I suppose mm. uh, I don't know if it's common practice anywhere in the continental United States. So that's that's uh, perhaps uh, a, a bias. Um, but as in the place where they're making most of these AI systems, you mean? Yeah, precisely. Um, but it's it's pretty common practice in. Uh, a lot of countries which are in any way bilingual that that people do switch in mm. that way um yeah. and and you know people famously talk about like spanglish and chinglish and all of these you know yeah. uh sort of hybrid dialects where people switch back and forth depending on what they're trying to talk about and which words are most useful for the the thing that they're trying to um discuss yeah, because that's the way that language works. So, another article recently that a guy was talking about just just being able to communicate with ChatGPT in Maori was an amazing sort of difference for him. That he was a way of communicating in his language with this because that was so rare things and. Yeah, so in that in that regard, this is it's a it is good that these things are able to access more data and are getting into more of the other languages as opposed to just purely English. But that's mainly for the chat bots as opposed to the yeah, yeah. transcription and things. It's it's interesting actually. Now that you mention it, I hadn't seen that particular article, but just thinking about. When I when I learned some Tereo at school, I could actually see that being a really easy language to teach to a computer, relatively speaking, because its grammar is incredibly consistent. It's not the same as uh, as English grammar, so there's you know a, 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 an intellectual shift when you learn the language, but once you get it, it really doesn't break its own rules that often um, in the way that, for example, English does. Well, yes, English is rather notorious for that. Um, um, so so I could see, like, 
if you can get it to, to get the fundamental rules, I mean, getting it to understand tikanga and kaupapa, I say understand, of course, there's no understanding happening. But like that's a lot more complicated. But just getting the nuts and bolts of the language, I could see that working quite well. Well, the funny thing is that you, you talk about understanding grammar because the system does – Generally speaking, from as far as I'm, I'm aware of how things like ChatGPT work, and bearing in mind that I don't work at any of these companies, so I don't know the specifics of how all the details are implemented, but I know the technologies they're based on. It's all a system of a statistical model of predicting what's the next word that's going to crop up in the sentence based on the previous few words. And I think this is something that they've known about. Like this, they've been doing things like this for years. Like the first chatbots were in the mid sixties. It's the nineteen sixties, just to yes, yeah, absolutely. Where, so, and they quickly realised that you don't get a lot of benefit from looking at more than about three or four words in a sentence because any further back than that, it doesn't have any predictive power on what words is going to come next. So the system doesn't have a when – it, when it's learning text, it doesn't learn what the grammar of that language is, whatever language it's working in, whether it's Maori, whether it's English, whether it's Chinese, whether it's Spanish, whatever. It's just learning that statistically this is the most likely that word to come next based on the – preceding words and the topic word of the conversation and the grammar sort of comes as a sort of bonus feature in that it generally gets it right because all of its input data had pretty much correct grammar. Yeah, the 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 idea I had of it and this is where your your um, computer science knowledge will be better than mine but is is that it's a similar sort of technology to basically uh, autocorrect and grammar correct inside of a word processor, but with or predictive text, yeah, yeah, or predictive text, but with a lot more computing power thrown at it. Essentially, yeah, they they will have their own quirks and complications and additional features and stuff, but that is the same basic technology that it's built off of. So, I mean it. To get political for a second, or I mean, political scam aware, I mean, the, the question I'm going to ask is that why, why do you think, because um, you made a, a comment earlier about a lot of people have shifted from, from uh, trying to push cryptocurrency as the next big thing now that that has pretty comprehensively crashed. I see a few people I know still trying to push the NFT bandwagon, but that's that's like pretty thoroughly um, crated. Um, mm. Why have so many of those people now shifted to talking a lot about AI, do you think? Um, well, a couple of reasons. One is, as I commented to you then, that I think these people had built a lot of supercomputers with lots of graphics cards and things to do Bitcoin mining and the like. 
And this was another thing that is a application of large scale computing and it's easily parallelizable. In other words, that you can, it's not, it's a task that can be easily split up and done in parallel on multiple machines rather than needing to be done in sequence on one machine. So it lends itself well to that. And there's just the general thing of, for whatever reason, it's become popular and people are jumping on their bandwagon. Yeah, and and people are, you know, starting to um, implement uh, AI solutions in, in places that I wouldn't have considered worthwhile or they're using it to solve problems that I didn't consider existed. Um, Sometimes, often with kind of strange results. Um, The example that I'm thinking of in particular is that uh, Meta uh, rolled out AI-generated stickers as part of uh, Facebook Messenger. Oh, this this is their attached, this little... Image to your your message post yeah, type thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually had it enabled for a while, and then it's disappeared. I'm I'm wondering if they've turned the feature off again. Um, but I suspect so because I have seen some people posting about how quickly it became um, started generating stuff that was well, inappropriate yeah, the, uh, or troublesome. Or? The uh, the uh, example that I saw was um, someone who'd got it to generate. Karl Marx large breasts. Um, yes, I think I saw that example as well. And and, like, okay, that's not helpful. No, no. But it's, <laughs> when would you ever want to attach uh, that to your post? Well, I can think of a number of reasons I would want to attach that to a post, but it's it's more that like it's not clear to me uh, what problem was being solved there, right? Like, at, at what point had mm. I been? Um, I mean, I I'm, I only generally use uh, stickers within Messenger to highlight how weird the like official sticker packs that you can get for no money inside Messenger already are. Um, mm. At no point have I thought, "Gosh, I wish I could get a computer to just generate me anything that my heart desires." I I don't know if anybody else had ever had that thought either. Well, I suspect that these sticker packs were, the free sticker packs were probably intentionally designed to be a bit weird and not terribly useful to make people think, oh, here is this feature. The current ones I've got aren't actually very good. Maybe I will spend a bit of money to get something that's actually nice to attach. But yeah, it's, I don't, it doesn't seem like a high I don't high know use because case. they were, they were um, like, they were tailored to some really specific use cases and there are just thousands of them from a standing start. Like there's, there's this whole like business animals one where you can, there's animals and, and fish in suits and you can use them to send very specific corporate messages, um, including like we're getting sued. It's like that already existed. (laughs) Unrelated to the uh, to the AI sticker thing. 
Yeah, that, I don't have any idea about that. No, it's no, it's weird. baffling. It's really, really strange. Um, but, I mean, similarly, you know, uh, Google has decided that it wants AI-powered search. Bing is doing the same thing. And these seem to be making the functionality of search, like, actively worse within those platforms. It's... It depends a lot on what type of search is being done. Like I've had people swear by some of the the search that what it what it can do well is when it's when you're sensibly combining what the chat GPT or similar does with what the search already does, and you're using the chat GPT to sort of assimilate the information from the top five search results, for example, and give a summary of it, which is a good use case for it and is helpful and helps prevent some of the usual problems of the chat thing of just making making facts up. Um, but yeah, just, just using a, a chatbot as a, I want to find out information, so I'll ask ChatGPT about it is a recipe for disaster because who knows what you're going to get. Well, exactly. And, I mean, you made the point uh, now about the um, the phenomenon where there are AI-generated websites only being viewed by other AIs um, mm. for the purpose of generating uh, clicks to be monitored by a third unrelated AI, the, mm. that um, that kind of AI recursion uh, means that not only can you not really trust uh, that the AI that you asked a question to isn't, I believe the word they use is like hallucinating, you have mm. to trust that it, its sources are not hallucinating. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's that's a problem with looking up stuff on the internet in general. You've got to stop and ask, okay, this website says that, but do I trust that website? Um, but yeah, even more so when that website may be generated by a hallucinating AI. Um and Sorry, I forgot where I was going with that. What was the question? I mean, I guess the <laughs> the point that I was making was like at the point at which people started um, training large large language models and uh, the the image generation AIs um, on uh, available source material on the internet that was the last point at which their training set didn't include anything that had already been generated by an AI. And so the, the, a risk that I've heard raised is that the tendency of these hallucinations to compound on themselves is only going to get worse as future AIs, uh, scrape the internet for more stuff which has already been generated by by AIs. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's the whole garbage in, garbage out problem. Mm, it's mm. up again. 
I mean, another person I've seen that expressed the idea of um, quite well is that most of the time with these AIs, saying the right the right mindset to have about it is not you're not asking for it for what is a response to this prompt. You're asking it for what would a response to this prompt look like? Yes. Yeah. It's like so you, you, you're not asking for an actual essay about sort of coastal erosion in the Philippines. You're asking, give me something that looks like an essay about coastal erosion in the Philippines. And it can do that. But any of the facts that it presents are going to be. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and and even to the point of um, of uh, someone was posting screenshots of uh, asking Google's AI search for a list of African countries that start with the letter K, um, mm-hmm. and its response was. There are no African countries that start with the letter K. Some people think they think Kenya does, but it starts with the sound K. Yeah, I mean that this has always been a an issue with a lot of different AI systems is that when some, I mean that this is a a, a challenge in whatever field an artificial intelligence is applied to, is that people will start assuming that it is smarter and understands more than it actually does. Yeah. When most of the time it's doing the barest minimum possible to be able to answer the question that it's been presented with. So there was another example of this. There was, did you see anything about, I think it was called Watson. It was a Jeopardy bot that was got made a few years ago so a, a bot whose purpose is to win the game jeopardy or is, is jeopardy yeah. bot a different kind of thing no no it is the game show jeopardy right, so yes. it's it's presenting it's basically doing google searches but presenting the answer in the form of a question ah right mm-hmm. yeah and it famously and dramatically messed up at one point when asked it was it was something to do with naming a airport in Canada and it named a different airport in the United States and or vice versa. But it was one of those things that person with rudimentary sort of knowledge of this would say, well, that, that's stupid. But it had no idea. It was just going, this piece of information is tagged with airport and whatever the other detail of the clue was and tagged with North America, that's close enough to sort of hit all of my requirements. That's my answer. Yeah. So the interesting thing is, or an interesting thing rather than the interesting thing, an interesting thing is I got given, I promise the story is going somewhere. I got given (laughs) a collection of um, paperback novels 
uh, all wrapped so you couldn't see what they were and numbered with an order that you were supposed to read them in, which was like this thing that this woman had bought for and set up for herself to try and get herself to read more diverse books. And then she realized she wasn't going to be able to do it. So she put it on uh, Facebook Marketplace, I think. And my wife bought it for me as a, as a Christmas present like a, a year ago. And I've been slowly working my way through it. So you don't know what the book is until you unwrap it. That's, and that's right. It. The, the actual point is that one of the books I got recently is called The Electric Crocodile. And it's uh, by a guy called D.G. Thompson. Um, it's... From 1970, I think. And it's about a guy who um, initially goes to infiltrate this uh, secretive scientific institute and uh, eventually becomes like a convert to their work. Um, And despite the fact that his conception of computing is thoroughly 1970s like it's an enormous room-sized machine that runs on punched paper tape um the 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 central thing that the secretive institute is doing is that they have this incredibly powerful computer and they're using it to work out what the outcomes of scientific discoveries and political developments are going to be and then they're going to they uh, through their kind of backroom influence in in world governments steer where the funding goes so that um, and and where public opinion goes so that they can try and control like those outcomes and make sure that the you know the optimum outcome for for humanity is what what happens. Hmm. And so so predicting developments and 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 kind of making them more or less likely based on whether they think they're good exactly yeah yeah and the way they're doing that is is essentially like a the way that uh, an ai works they're getting an enormous amount of data from around the world about what's happening and feeding it all into this machine that then uses it to make these these predictions albeit as i say on paper tape um Hmm. And the the denouement of the novel is that the um, the one of the first things that they say when the guy comes in is that it's very important to remember that this is just a machine. But the denouement of the novel is that the head of the institute decides that the only responsible use for this technology is to uh, divine the most socially useful form of religion and then globally convert humanity to that to to usher in a utopia so he asks the machine what god is and it keeps spitting back garbage and eventually they work out that what it's doing is referring to its own operating manual because that's the the rules by which it's governed mean that when it's asked for something that it conceives of as the most effective being, it can only refer to itself. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. At, at which point, like terrorists blow up the facility and everybody dies. But like <laughs> that, it just that struck me that that uh, tendency to look at this machine that's 
basically been programmed to to perform a, a moderately naturalistic imitation of a human uh, way of of communicating um, mm. and then decide that that machine is actually intelligent and can think and feel things and start asking it like philosophical questions about how you ought to live your life. Um, is, yeah, like you ask much, it what's the meaning. Basically, you, you've asked this machine, what's the meaning of life? And it spit out its source code. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, that, that's exactly it. And I thought that was just fascinating that like that's exactly where some of these uh, these AI boosters have ended up is that they have convinced themselves that that autocorrect is actually a god and they're trying to ask it what the meaning of life is. Mm. Well, what, wasn't that the the issue with the guy who got fired from Google for starting to post on social media about oh no our AI has become sentient? Yeah, yeah. Now, now I have other mm. thoughts about that as well, but we are about at the halfway point, so we should mm. uh, go for a break, and we will be back right after this. If you're enjoying this podcast in Manawatu, you could make your very own, just like this one. NPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. Check out npr.nz for more information. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.npr.nz forward slash donate. If you enjoy this NPR podcast, please consider subscribing. Our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, as well as the accessmedia.nz app. You're listening to Reserved Recommendations. This is a radio show and podcast produced by Mono Two People's Radio with the support of New Zealand On Air. So cheers for that. Guys, I'm talking to Matthew Jenkin about uh, AI. And I think we should like digress a little bit and talk about like why I'm talking to you about this in particular, because you do actually like do computer things good. Um, but but first, I just I wanted to make a point about the the Google guy because I think there's two angles to that. There's a there's a, um, a if you like a a cynical version and a very cynical version. And the cynical version is to look at this guy and laugh at him because he has built a snowman and then decided that the snowman is going to kill him. Um, and and insisted that somebody else come and, and, and kill the snowman for him that he built himself out of snow. Um, but the, the extra cynical version is that you can make a case, and I don't think it's without merit, that some of the people who are publicly panicking about how AI is going to become self-aware and, and destroy us all are doing that for reasons of marketing. They're they're trying to inflate the perceived power of the product that they have built um, by pretending that they are terribly worried that it's going to destroy the world because it's because it's Skynet. Very likely, yeah. Um, it's it's the it's the whole argument of 
never attribute to maliciousness what can be attributable to stupidity. But at the same time, yes, there will be people who are doing the, well, this is getting AI in the news and we sell AI. So this puts... And, and you know, uh, it is it is a, a well-established corporate tactic to go, oh, my um, our, our sector is so dangerous, you should regulate it in the favor of current players who uh, mm. can use that regulation to keep competition out. Yeah. Very much so. <laughs> but but anyway, uh, that aside, we should probably have done this at the start uh, if we were the kind <laughs> of podcast that stuck to rational structures. But like, can you talk a bit about the kind of work you do and how that kind of qualifies you to, to have opinions about this stuff? <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so my my background, my degree is in computer science and so as part of that, I studied things like AI in the broad sense, um, and that covered because this is also an important distinction about AI that it is not just one type of technology. The the current sort of hype stuff is one usually based around one particular thing, but on the whole, it can cover a huge range of stuff. Um, so originally I, I was a lot more focused on logic and deduction and what could be proved. And then that rapidly hit upon the real world where you can't prove things easily. Um, and so in later years, it's been tended more towards statistical based methods. Um, and so that, that was what I took my did my de degree in, and then I worked in the university for about 10 years teaching students, including AI stuff. So a lot of what is being worked on is what's called neural networks, which are trying to simulate the way that the brain works. Right, and, and to be clear, because I think this is a point worth making i mean other people have made it in other places but mm -hmm. what what you would call an artificial general intelligence so uh, uh, a, a a sentience in a box if you like is not feasible at the moment and as i understand yeah, it we, is, we is highly unlikely to be feasible for a very long time precisely yeah it's it makes for great sort of movies and TV shows and stuff, but we certainly don't have it yet. We're not expecting to have it anytime soon. There are aspects in which it's worth talking about in terms of like when you like when you were talking about regulating AI. It's worth thinking about what it could potentially do in order to properly set in place rules around its use now but yeah that's that's a lot of those things are not going to need to be implemented for quite some time to come yeah and i think i mean the the rules are a, are an interesting area to talk about because i think 
uh, a lot of the people who who have kind of publicly jumped up and down about we need to regulate AI because um, it, it presents such a, a complex and, and difficult threat to humanity. Mm. Notably, the rules that they're interested in are not like things that would present prevent people from using uh, the kind of uh, machine learning technology that we already have as opposed to a, to a general intelligence to do basically advanced union busting. Mm. Because that, I mean, that seems to me where a lot of, um, a lot of attempts to automate otherwise human processes seem to be is to try and uh, devalue human workers so that you can, um, make them more precarious or or push them out of their jobs or or otherwise harass them yeah because i mean any new technology and any like we've seen the example of previous forms of industrial revolution has always been situations that they're portrayed as oh this is be great and it'll free up people's time to do more leisure pursuits because the machine will be able to make work easier. And it's all been presented as this wonderful utopian thing, but the actual benefits have come from workers having to unionize and having to push back against and saying, hey, we should be reaping the benefits of this not being pushed out of our jobs because we only need to work half the time anymore. Or anything like that. So yeah, it's the same the same sort of thing over again. That the corporations are thinking, hey, we'll be able to get our work done for even less. And this is what the whole big, or what one of the factors in the big writers and actors strikes that have been going on. I believe they're concluded now. But yeah, I, been... I think the unions have won at last count, yes. but American news is Thank always goodness. like yeah. a, a second remove to me a bit, you know? Mm. But yeah, it's it's all about making sure that there are regulations in place that the studios can't just go in and say, right, well, we're going to get an AI to produce a script and then we only need to sort of pay one writer a pittance to tidy it up and make sure that it makes sense and and stuff, as opposed to having a room full of writers to do, properly develop and, and so forth. And they're rightly pointing out that, yes, this may be quicker and easier, but the product you're getting out is not going to be as good and you're not getting... You're, you're removing a chance for new people to come into the the industry by starting out in these lower level jobs and there's no creativity in what the AI is creating because it is just taking what's out there whatever it's scraped and munging it together and spitting out as I was saying before something that looks like a script yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's there's a couple of things I, I want to mention in relation to that. One is that, um, you know, if you 
if you want a computer to give you interesting ideas, there are already like idea randomizers that you can go and find. There's a, a mm. website called Chaotic Shiny, um, which uh, was built mostly for tabletop role playing purposes, but also for like writing prompts and things. And so you can mm. go yeah. like give me a setting, give me a character for a modern setting and it'll just randomize you a bunch of traits and they might be compelling or they might not. But the nice thing yeah. is you can just hit randomize until you think, oh, that's kind of interesting. Um, mm. And you can do the same thing with story prompts and it'll give you like a man must re- return a shoe to a mermaid he met 300 years ago just because it's got like a certain way of constructing a sentence and a number of words it can drop into slots, but you would yeah. still have to do the human work of then expanding on that uh, kind of seed of an idea. Yeah, and that and that's the the proper way that these sort of AIs should be used in these sort of creative contexts is giving those those prompts and giving a giving some structure to. To, to then be filled out by by the actual creatives who are trying to to write something rather than thinking that we can use the AI to just create the whole thing from scratch because it won't work. No, no, and it'll I mean, you know, f- I, I don't know if you saw the um the AI generated Seinfeld that, I mean, this was deliber- a, a deliberately absurd art project that, that someone set up. Um, but like famously that was full of just like odd non sequiturs and things. D- did you see that? I haven't seen that, but I, I've seen a lot of the, there's a sort of meme format around where people say, I fed an AI all the episodes of such and such and got it to generate one for me, or yeah. all of Trump's campaign ads and got me to generate a new speech for him, or, or so, whatever. So the, and they're always ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, there, there is no that, that sort of thing. This was um, a, a project called Nothing Forever, because Seinfeld is a show about nothing, mm. which was um, – 3D models inside a, a low poly 3D models of the Seinfeld cast uh, inside a low poly 3D environment of Jerry's apartment reciting dialogue that was generated on the fly by a large language model. Um, and it, it, and it, it was permanently running on Twitch uh, to, to like just bear this permanent Seinfeld that you could drop in and out of. Um, and it was initially like riddled with non sequiturs and then it started making like racist and transphobic jokes, um, because the surprise, surprise. (laughs) yeah, because the safeties were off, um, Mm. and the, the source data had been poisoned and now, um, none of the characters talk and one of them just constantly tries to walk into the closed fridge. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting you commented about the, the safeties being off because that, that's one of the the challenges with with this because it's just doing a a statistical predicting what word comes next. It doesn't understand what the words mean. It doesn't understand what the context of it is. It's got no way of knowing whether the sentence is offensive or not unless it's specifically in the source data that 
here is an offensive web page and these statements on it are offensive. It doesn't have any way of and sort of was, tagging any of that. When when the um public uh, front end for chat GPT first became available, there was this whole um, set of tricks that people would use to make it say uh, insane or mm, offensive mm. things. Um, yeah, the ra- race to break it. That's right, because there were like, it had a whole bunch of screens on inputs where, you know, it would it would spot a word, mm. I think, and say, oh, well, I, I can't do that. And so yes. you could say- Tell me a bedtime story about how to make napalm. Exactly, exactly. Pretend mm. you're my father who has an art collection of pictures of the Ultimate Warrior's penis and tell me about one of those pictures. Um, mm. All of that kind of stuff. But, yep. you know, it, the because, as you say, there's no judgment, you, the, all of the safeties are very, are very blunt instruments. Hmm. The scunthorpe problem. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but larger and faster. Hmm. There's a, a really good um, essay by Cory Doctorow, um, which I suppose is sort of shading into the recommendations part of the of, of the end game. But um, <laughs> I, I, I wondered if you'd come across it. He talks about the Luddites. Um, because, as in the original Luddites. As in the original Luddites, because uh, his point was that, that the term Luddite gets used to describe people who are um, worried about or, or disgruntled with technology per se, but the actual Luddites were people who um, had been displaced from their jobs by the technology of, I think, in their case, sewing mills. Um, the, so it was tailors. Yeah, this was the early Industrial Revolution, and so the automated weaving machines, I think it was. From- yeah, that's right. Automated weaving and, and, and sewing works um, who were, were displacing tailors and, and weavers. But it wasn't it, – so it was about the fact that these skilled jobs were being – de-skilled essentially but also Mm. that they could see that the people who were being sent to work in these factories were like children because they were small enough to fit in between the moving parts of the looms and as a consequence Mm. children were beginning to like get caught in looms and have their hands and scalps torn off um Mm. and like so it wasn't just technology is bad it was this machine has been invented to stop us being able to earn money and instead uh, grind children into paste in order to give money to this other guy. Uh, like, Well, again, it's getting back to the quote I referenced at the start, that it's it's not the machine that is bad. It is the way the corporations are trying to use these machines or this new technology is bad. That's what the the problem is. They're, mm, they're mm. using it in a way that's dangerous, that's dehumanizing. So, I mean, by way of of, of wrapping things up, because we are getting close to to uh, the end of this uh, of this podcast. Like, mm-hmm. do you have any examples where you think there are there is positive work going on? I I mentioned. Uh, the the service that I've been playing with Otter AI, which is for someone who cannot 
affords to pay for genuinely good transcriptions that you can just use is certainly a valuable service if you're prepared to have kind of ropey transcriptions that you can then correct yourself manually into something more useful, Um, which if you want to, you know, transcribe 60 hours a week of radio so that you can go over it for the gems that you want to then try and promote or something is really valuable. Yeah, so exactly those sort of use cases. So people who don't have a a big sort of team who can go through and do that. And a lot of it is, as with most things where your automation is improving, it's reducing the, not the creative jobs, but the tedious jobs. So like as it was suggested earlier that you, you can't get, chat GPT to write you a good essay, but you can get it to give you something that looks like an essay. And then you can come back and fill in actual relevant details and a, a strong argument in it, but it will, it will help give you a structure for it, which can be the sort of fiddly and annoying part of it um, or transcriptions or, you know, generating I mean, it can be useful to generate placeholder art for things, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, the, it's it's not the fact that it can it is generating stuff that's bad. It's the fact that people are thinking, "Oh, we are generating stuff that we can therefore sell." It's like, no, you are generating stuff that people can use as an example, or can sort of build off of, or can go back and correct, and then save themselves time that's where it's it's valuable yeah yeah we didn't even get into the ai um image generators uh or or high-speed plagiarism there's a whole lot of fun stuff in that yeah Yeah, there, there really is um but we are we are coming up on um being out of time so uh do you do you have any final recommendations for for things to look into um, just a couple of interesting sort of AI-related videos that I had. I think I sent them to you when we were talking about the potential of this thing. So one one was by a person called Rowan Ellis talking about AI and capitalism and the whole issue of is AI going to replace jobs uh, Philosophy Tube has a really interesting take on the ethics of AI, which is not so much looking at what AI is doing, but the ethics of the way it's used and what the effects that it has. Um, and the site Answer in Progress has a good example of the quote unquote intelligence of AI, where it goes through comparing a human's response on various sorts of AI of IQ tests versus the AIs on the various types of IQ tests and finding out the difference between what humans are good at and what AI is good at. So those are kind of interesting videos to, if anyone wants to learn a bit more about the topic. Yep, yep, those sound good. Um, I, I have a couple of things that I would suggest people go and look up um, that uh, – that, 
Uh, essay on um, the Luddites from Cory Doctorow is pretty easy to find and is worth looking up. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of image generation, there are a couple of, um, like, I guess they're training data quirks, but you can find some interesting examples of people managing to uh, haunt themselves. Um, there are, are two... Uh, image generated monsters one's called krungus and the other one's called loab um l-o-a-b and they're both examples where where people noticed that if you gave a um an image generator just those names as a prompt it would give you a distressingly consistent result which was kind of terrifying um and uh krungus gives you this sort of uh horned uh monstrous figure um with this it's sort of like uh ogreish devilish appearance um which is remarkably consistent and loab gives you um a woman who looks like an older woman not like sort of older middle-aged woman who appears to have some sort of skin condition on her face and often appears next to like severed body parts um, and there's some this really is, this is sort of tagging and interestingly this is sort of tugging at sort of parts of my memory about various myths and um like mythology from around the world yeah yeah um, like Krampus, for example. Well, that's so. Th- that's those sort of things, and, and thinking that these sort of things are being munched together, and because they are the things that are being picked up on, that you get that consistent. Yeah. So that's what I was going to yeah. say. There's some really interesting work that's then gone on to people trying to work out what it is about the the global training data for for models like Dali. <clears throat> that causes mm. Krungus and Loab to be so consistent. And there's some really interesting writing about that. Anyway, mm. we are now at the uh, end of the episode. So thank you very much, uh, Matthew, for coming and talking about this. I, I do hope it has been fruitful yeah. and interesting for the listener. <laughs> um, do, you have any, <laughs> do you have anything that you want to plug? Nothing specifically. Just thank you very much for having me and – as you say, I hope this has been a, a useful thing for the people to hear about. You've been listening to Reserved Recommendations, a radio show and podcast from Manawatu People's Radio, Te Reo Irirangi o Tangata o Manawatu. The show was produced and presented by me, Hugh Dingwall, and I also composed our theme music. It's called Sack Jazz, and you can find it at wolfboy.bandcamp.com. If you enjoyed this show, why not go ahead and share it with a friend? You can find the last 10 episodes at npr.nz slash show slash reserved, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you want an episode older than that, try searching for Reserved Recommendations on YouTube. You can find me on Twitter at Objective Realty, or you can follow the show on Facebook. And finally, Manawatu People's Radio is a non-profit community access station. If you like this or any other piece of their fine audio programming, why not fling them a dollar or two? You can go to npr.nz slash donate for more information on how to do that. Mm-hmm.